Welcome to the MPYA podcast. MPYA is a gathering designed specifically for young adults. In this podcast, you'll hear messages from our gatherings, as well as conversations that we hope will help you navigate these defining years of your life. We hope you'll join us as we explore practical ways we can follow Jesus in our everyday lives. As always, be sure to follow us on Instagram, at North Point Young Adults, and subscribe to the podcast if you like what you hear. But with that in mind, let's jump into this week's episode. I bet they never. I bet they never give y'all a hand, do they? They just kind of let you creep off into the side. Yes, it's great. Yeah. And then they go disappear backstage. What does the band? Oh, they don't go backstage. That's great. Hey, everybody. I'm Andy. If you don't know, I'm so happy to be here. It's taken me forever to get invited, even though like my son-in-law and my daughter are in charge of this thing. It's like, how long is it going to take? So I think it's because Thanksgiving and Christmas are coming up. They're like, we should invite your dad because Christmas is coming. We want to make sure we're on good terms with him. Anyway, I'm so happy to be here. And for those of you who know me, great. For those of you who don't, it's okay that you don't know me. So, so I... So love this theme, and I'm glad I get to wrap it up. So a couple things. First of all, how many of you have been here for the first three parts of this series? Anybody in here for all three? Six of y'all have seen all three. Okay. Anyway, anyway, these are all on the podcast, so you should go back and listen to them because they all build. They're so different um, and just sort of different um, parts of this whole theme. And then here's the real question, and it's okay to be proud about this. How many of you feel like you're, I just love the title. How many of you feel like you're living your dream? Oh, you're kidding. <laughs> Do you? It's okay. I feel like, and you got three of us. Can, I mean, no, no, okay. So if you feel like you're kind of, I mean, at this season in your life, things are good, and you're kind of, you know, it's as good as it can get because you're the season of life, I just want you to stand, stand up, be proud. Go ahead, yeah. You're living the dream. Come on, come on, there we go. Yeah, okay, okay. The rest of you, oh my goodness, I have so much work to do tonight. You've had three parts of this series, and you're still not living your dream. So I don't know if you're just embarrassed to admit you're, you're living your dream. So um, I'm super excited about what we're going to talk about. Last night you got to hear, last time you got to hear from the chicken salesman, my good friend, Cliff. I know he kept talking about how he's the chicken salesman. Cliff's like one of the smartest people I've ever been around. He's one of our elders of our church. And Cliff has this thing he does, like we'll be having a meeting and we'll be trying to figure all this complicated stuff out for our organization. And Cliff will wait and wait and wait. And he'll say, he'll say this. And, and for those of you that meet him, this isn't going to make much sense, but he'll say, um, Andy, have y'all ever thought about, and whenever he says that, I go, no, we haven't thought about it, Cliff. Just tell us what it is, because he's just, he's so smart. So what I want to do is we wrap up the series, and it's, again, it's how to get where you want to go. And all of you have some sense of where you want to go in terms of life, uh, relationships, jobs, careers, finances, what you want to drive, you know, you relate. I mean, every area of your life, if, if I were to pull you up here and say, give me, give me the three-minute version of where you want your life to go. You have some idea. We all have some idea. You may not have written it down. You may not be a goal person. I am not a goal person. My dad was like, he was such a goal person. When I was in high school, he realized I was drifting, and I was. Um, he's not wrong about that. And he, he brought me to his, I had this little study at our house. We lived in Tucker. Anybody from Tucker, Georgia? No? Okay. I'm batting zero. Um, <clears throat> So he brought me in his office and he sat me down and he gave me this yellow pad, you know, like the big legal size, you know, paper and stuff out. Yeah. And he puts me in his office with a pen. He said, Andy, you need some goals. I'm like, all right. So he says, so I want you to sit in here. Do you have some goals? And I'm going to come back later and check on you. I'm like, all right. And I just remember I just drew pictures on the paper because I, I didn't know how to set a goal. And, and also, and this was kind of stupid, but when I look back, I was afraid I would set the wrong goal. 
like, okay, what if this, I set this goal and then, you know, and I was, you know, pastor's kid. So I'm like, what if that's not God, what God wants me for, what's the wrong goal? Anyway, so we came back later and I just drawn like army men and some tanks and some airplanes on the goal sheet. Anyway, so I'm not much of a goal person, but all of you have some general idea of what you want your preferred future to look like. And the interesting thing is it's probably pretty common because at the end of the day, we want to be happy and we want to be fulfilled and you can't be happy and fulfilled alone. So relationships are such an important part of this. So what I want to do tonight, because Clay said I could talk about anything I wanted to as long as it kind of fit with the theme and I love this theme. I like to do a whole series on this. I think it's so great. I want to give you, I'm going to do two things. I'm going to give you basically um, an outline for your whole life Okay, I promise it's already the outline for how much life you've lived so far. And that's why you're going to go, wow, that's true. And if it's true for my life so far, probably it's true for my life forever. And it is. So I'm going to give you an outline. um, And then I'm going to tell you how to make the outline work for you. So it's kind of a template for your whole life. What's going to like if you were to stand up here and tell me your story, every pretty much part of your story would fall into one of these um, three buckets. And then I'm going to talk about as a Christian why we have such an advantage when it comes to getting this right. If you're not a Christian, that's okay because tonight's gonna be super practical. And we hope at some point you come to the place where you recognize that Jesus is who Jesus claimed to be and that he loves you as we sang about. And, um, and that's not the case. It's because you have good questions and good objections, maybe some church hurt. So we're cool with that. We, we all get that. And if we were you, we would be exactly where you are. So <clears throat> three things that will serve as the mile markers and the transition points of your life. In fact, they already do. I'm just gonna give them to you all at once. This, this is the story of your life. Opportunities, tragedies, personalities. Just let's say them together. Opportunities, tragedies, and personalities. What are they? There you go. <clears throat> yeah, that's your, your, you can stand up right now and tell me your life story and you would talk about the opportunities you've had, the ones you took advantage of, the opportunities that came along that you didn't take advantage of, that you screwed it up or you didn't do it because you were lazy. Um, opportunities that led to Bigger and better opportunities, opportunities or lack of them as it relates to your family. Um, for me, I grew up in a middle-class home um, in the United States of America, which is a huge opportunity. And my dad's a pastor. And so then he became famous when I was in college. And so that gave me opportunities. I had all these opportunities and I'm so grateful. Um, so if you could stand up and you could tell me about your opportunities. Now, your tendency would be to look at people with better opportunities and think you don't have any, but you do. So you're Part of your story are the things that were opportunities that you were given to you. You didn't earn them. They have to do with your family, where you live, who you met. Um, You just happened to be smart, so you had opportunities based on your GPA. You're more like me, where you're kind of like a C-plus student, which there weren't a lot of opportunities, except we just goofed off more. But anyway, that's part of my story. So that's opportunities. Tragedies, I don't think I need to define that. Okay, yeah, it's the bad stuff. Um, Financial tragedy, maybe your health tragedy. Um, And the reason I chose tragedies, I wanted all these to have IESs. So tragedy is kind of strong, but it was better than bad things. Didn't really go with the other two. Anyway, um, uh, heartbreak, uh, you know, uh, you you were... um, maybe your parents got divorced and I mean that just kind of screwed up your whole 10th grade year in high school or your freshman year in college Um, losing a job um, a job going bad somebody taking advantage of you Um, for me a big 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 tragedy and part of our my story is um, I worked for my dad for 10 years Um, he's a pastor who was a pastor he passed away this past um, earlier this year and um, and my parents got divorced and pastors when a pastor gets divorced that's like like what 
I mean, you're supposed to have like perfect Christian family. Got divorced, big, big, big deal. I had to quit my job working for him. Um, Sandra, we had two little kids. Um, they were San Allie's brothers and Sandra was pregnant with Allie and we lost all of our insurance. So we're, and, and my wife, because she has scoliosis, has a steel rod in her back. I didn't mean to tell you all this, but anyway. Um, and so she has to have C-sections. We're really going deep now. And so, um, <laughs> A C-section is like a surgery. It's extremely expensive. We had no insurance. I didn't have a job. I was angry, angry, angry. I was in counseling. It was like big hiccup, okay? So, you know, so you, you're going to have some of those, some little ones, um, some big ones. So that's uh, opportunities, tragedies. And then personalities is basically just the people that are going to be in and out of your life. Good ones, not so good ones, your relationships, your friends, your romance, um, and being included, being excluded. Um, if you went through a season, I had really, I had like the worst buck teeth uh, my orthodontist had ever seen. He won an award for fixing my teeth when I was in when, at middle school. And if you have like the worst teeth an orthodontist has ever seen in middle school, that means you don't have a lot of friends and you don't have no girlfriends and people have nicknames for you. And I still don't even want to tell you what they are because it's hard for me to say them out loud. Cause I still, and there's like years where there are no pictures of me. Like I, I just hate it. I, when I would close my mouth, you could see my front teeth. They were so bad. But my orthodontist made lots of money. He put my impressions on his shelf in his office. Like, am I a good orthodontist? Take a look at that. Okay. <laughs> I'm not making this up. His name was Dr. King. He died in a skiing accident. So anyway, I, I just, okay. Um, so you have, and as, as far as relationships, you have providential relationships. You know what a providential relationship is? A providential relationship is like you just feel like God dropped somebody into your life at just the right time, those relationships. Um, then there's the wish you'd never met them relationships. So I'd like to see the hands of all of you who have a wish I'd never met that person relationship. Okay, now we're seeing some hands. Your dreams aren't coming true, but you got, you got one of those. <laughs> Um, then there's the, you should have listened to your mama relationships. Anybody have a, you should have listened to mama relationship. Yeah. So that is your, that is your whole life up until now. And that's going to be your whole life in the future. Now, um, your dream or your preferred future on what could be and should be will include all three of those all along the way. That's true for all of us. But, and here's where we kind of dig in. It gets a little meatier. Um, the opportunities and tragedies and personalities do not determine how your story goes. This is the template. This is your template up until now, it's your template into the future. But these three things, even though they're gonna be apart forever, they don't determine how your story goes. They are just always gonna be big parts of your story. They're just components of your story. But here, here's, they're not determinative. Um, you know this, there are people with very few opportunities with extraordinary tragedy, um, few healthy relationships and no relational opportunities who defy the odds and they burst through and they just live their dream. And when you hear their story, you're like, holy cow, I have no excuse. And you just think, well, what, how did you do that? I'm gonna tell you how they did it in a few minutes. Um, and there are people with all the opportunities in the world, right? They're born into great families, wealthy families. They go to school anywhere they want. They don't have any student loans. Um, they're so connected because their families are connected and they live in the right part of the country in the right part of town. And so, you know, they have very few tragedies. They're healthy. Their parents are healthy. Their brothers and sisters are healthy. You know, they're just, and, you know, you, you check in on them in their 30s or 40s and their life is just a piece of crap or, or you know, 
I, I can't say that on Sunday morning, so I just wanted to say it with y'all today. Um, I mean, their, their life is just like a mess. And you look at all the opportunities they had, and you look at all the tragedies they didn't have that maybe you had, and you look at all these people they were connected to, and you're like, how could you screw your life up? Because these, things, these three things will organize your life. Your life's going to be organized around them. Sorry, my little belt pack keeps getting caught. But they are not determinative. There is a single variable that humanly speaking, and we're going to factor the God part in, in in a minute, but I wanted to get to the human part first. There is a single variable that humanly speaking makes all the difference. It is already making all the difference in your life. It's making all the difference in my life. It will always make all the difference. And by talking about it tonight and singling it out and putting it out there front and center, if you will keep this front and center for the rest of your life, I promise you're going to have a far, far, far better opportunity to meet to for your dreams to come true. Again, you can't control opportunities. You can't control tragedies. And you can't necessarily control the people who are in and out of your life. This is the one thing you have control over that is determinative, determinative as it relates to these three um, things. Um, it's, I, in my notes, I just call it your superpower. And how you choose to use it will determine in some ways the direction and the quality of your life. Your superpower is how and how well you use it will determine the story you tell. Your superpower will determine whether your life dreams come true. Your superpower empowers you to be a better for anything and everything that comes your way, every single thing. This is the reason people can face extraordinary, terrible things and difficult things and come out on top because of the superpower. It empowers you to turn bad to good. I'll give you an illustration of that in a minute. It empowers you to turn wrong to right. And this is the best part. It will empower you to thwart the intentions of evil people. Because you have had, and I have had, I have some right now, I think just some evil people that just don't have my best interest in mind. And I want to win. And my temptation is to, as we're going to talk about, do to them as they've done to me. And I have learned, and we will all learn, that this superpower gives me the power to overcome that. Your superpower is easy to lose sight of during tragedy. Your superpower is easy to lose sight of during crisis. Your superpower is you will, it will vanish when things are going really, 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 really bad. And that's why we're talking about it. And if you can keep it front and center, it is determinative for the rest of your life. Um, your superpower is easy to lose sight of. And if you lose sight of it, you will become a victim. Engage it and you will be better for it. So here is your superpower. Your superpower is your response ability. Your ability to respond. The power, your power to choose your response to opportunities, choose your response to tragedy, and choose your response to the people who are in and out of your life. And if I almost, I couldn't decide, do I use responsibility or you could say respond ability. It is your power to respond and it is your choice every single time. And anytime you think you have no choice, you've lost sight of your superpower. The people who come through and win, regardless of circumstances, opportunities, tragedy, and people, are the people who realize I get to choose how I respond to this. Opportunities, tragedies, personalities don't determine your story. Your response to those things absolutely will determine your story, period. In fact, as you think about your life so far, um, you could easily get up here and give an illustration of a time that you had the courage and the wherewithal and the thought process and the margin to respond and the times that you reacted. 
You have virtually no control over the opportunities, strategies, and personalities. You do control your response. And we are no better than our responses, but our responses make us better and make our stories better. Now, the problem, and the reason it's like, duh, why, you know, why don't we all do this, is there's a big difference, as you know, between a response and a reaction. Big difference between a response and a reaction. So I wanna talk about these two things because the clearer you get on these two things, the easier it is to identify when you're doing one and you should do the other. And this, this, should, this next two minutes hopefully will just motivate the heck out of you to think, okay, I've got to get this right. When we react, to react is to reenact something that we don't like. When you react in, at some level, you are actually reenacting something that's happened to you, something that you don't have respect for, somebody you don't have respect for. And once you reenact rather than respond, you have given up your superpower in that moment and generally it leads to regret. Somebody hits you, hit them back. Somebody yells at you, you yell back. Somebody gossips about you, you gossip back. Somebody lies about you, you lie back. Somebody takes, this is a tricky one right here. Somebody takes advantage of you and you take advantage of someone else. And you simply reenact what happens to you. That's what a reaction is. It is a reenaction. And next thing you know, and we don't know until time goes by, we have, we have been sucked into something and we've lost our power and we've lost our superpower and we've lost our independence. And, and to you know, blend this with our spiritual life for just a minute, we're going to come back to that in a strong way in a minute. In that moment, the moment you react, the moment you don't use your superpower, the moment you react, Jesus is no longer the Lord of your life. And you don't think of it in those terms, but suddenly you have given somebody else or a set of circumstances, you have made them the boss of you. You have made them the Lord of your life. If somebody hit, yells at you and you immediately yell back, you have made that person the Lord of your life in that moment, and you lost the opportunity to use your superpower. I gotta do something with this or it's gonna drive us all crazy the rest of the night, sorry. Stick it right there. Um, uh, okay, to reenact, uh, okay, I wrote in my notes, hurt people hurt people, you've heard that right? That's Why do hurt people hurt people? Because they react, they don't respond. Wounded people wound people, not the same person, they wound somebody else. To react is to take on the characteristics, this is huge, to react, is to take on the characteristics of the thing or the person who hurt you. Now, let me tell you what happens when this happens. And again, this can be a person or it can be circumstances because you can react instead of responding. You can react to circumstances and something about that circumstance becomes a part of you. Um, and I, I, let me just read what I wrote in my notes. The person you, when somebody does something to you, it could be your parent, it could be a grandparent, it could be a friend, it could be a coach, it could be a teacher, it could be you know, a neighbor. When somebody does something in some way that harms you, um, you don't respect that person, right? And when you react, you do something disrespectful. And when you do something disrespectful, here's what happens. We don't, we don't know what's happening, but I promise it's happening. When you do something disrespectful, even though you think it's justified, when you do something disrespectful, you lose respect for yourself. And that's what shame is. Shame is I have lost respect for myself. And generally speaking, we lose respect for ourselves 
when we react or reenact something that's been done to us or even a set of circumstances that causes us to react in such a way and we then lose we lose respect for ourselves and when you and some of you have had seasons of this some of you are dealing with it now when you lose respect for yourself you have a tendency we have a tendency to behave even more disrespectfully to others and to ourselves, and before long we believe the lie that we are not worth respecting that's why this is such a huge deal and if you from this point on in your life can begin to distinguish between and determine the difference between what would a reaction look like which causes me to reenact something that i don't want to be part of my life and what would a response look like it will change and protect the trajectory of your life and again all of us right in this moment could think back to a relationship, our freshman year in college, um, our senior year in high school, that thing we went through when our parents got divorced, you know, your parents got divorced, you were so mad at both of them, you went out, think about what you did. Your parents were divorced and getting divorced and they were using you and back and forth, you and your brother or your sister, and you used that as an excuse to act out in a way that you are now ashamed of. What happened? You reenacted. You didn't respond maybe to your parents because they're like your parents. You can't, you know, you can only say, do so much. But you reenacted something that was taking place in your home. And it didn't make your life better. It just made your life more complicated. And it maybe is something you're carrying shame with. So you see how this works? This is a huge deal. This is your superpower. And when you use it, no matter what has happened to you and no matter who has left you and who's abandoned you, no matter what's happened, you have the opportunity to thwart the evil that has the potential to dog you for the rest of your life. It's that big a deal. And it's a gift from your heavenly father. You are not a victim. You get and I get to respond. Um, so when we react we relinquish control of our lives, like I just said. We hand control to someone or something else. Um, you think about, again, just go back to the divorce thing, because my parents got divorced. Maybe that's what I'm thinking about, why I'm thinking about it. But if your parents went through a divorce, you watched them, and each one of them thought the other one was wrong, and everybody had an excuse um, for their behavior. And essentially, because they made excuses for their behavior, they basically gave up control of their lives because they were then a victim of their own definition of what was right and wrong based on what was going on at the time. And as a kid sitting back, you, you watched it and you, you saw it differently, but you saw adults play this ridiculous thing out. When, when my parents went through divorce, and I couldn't talk about this when either of them were alive and now they've got it all worked out, I think. But anyway, however that works. But I, this is, I'm not making this up. I don't think I've ever shared this publicly before. Um, but... I, they were just, you know, and they're both Christians. It's like, not like I could share a verse. It's like my dad's like, okay, hey, I preach on that. My mom was a professional counselor, so you couldn't sneak up with them on, you know what the Bible says? It's like, I know what the Bible, you know, my dad written all these books. Um, so finally it got so bad. I said, I, I said to my dad one time, I said, oh, and all both of them were against divorce, but their relationship was so bad. And I used to say, could I file for y'all's divorce? Because y'all need to get divorced. This is just a mess, you know? Anyway, I, th I thought that was kind of funny. Okay. Um, so uh, anyway, so we hand control to other people. Um, like, for example, if you're, I wrote my notes, if you're angry with someone right now, aren't they in your head? 
I've been, I just came through this season where I'm, just, I'm, still, I'm still trying to get people out of my head, leave, leave me alone because of all the stuff we went through recently. They're in your head. They're stealing your thoughts. They're stealing your peace. They're stealing your joy. They're stealing your life. You can't even concentrate on what I'm saying because you're just, it, you know, it, just so ha- it just happened and it's right there in front of you. And in those moments, there's a sense in which, isn't it true, you've given them control they're controlling what you think about. You're having all these imaginary conversations with them in your head. Do you ever do that with a person you're mad at? Do you? Yeah. And, and when I have imaginary conversations with people, um, there's usually a crowd. Because I want the crowd to hear my comeback to the people that I'm going to make look stupid because I have lots of zingers, you know. And so in my mind, it's not just a one-on-one imaginary conversation. There's a crowd going, ooh, that was good. And then, you know, then I drop the mic and walk off, you know, because I win in all my imaginary conversations. But even though I win with my imaginary conversations and you win with your imaginary conversations, isn't it true? They're in your head. They're stealing your thoughts, they're stealing your joy, and you're reacting, you're reacting, you're reacting. And those are the moments where you hit pause, you go, wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. I have a superpower. I can respond, and I'm gonna respond, and I am cutting the cord, and they don't control me. They are not the boss of me. I'm telling you, if you can develop this habit, however that looks for you, and however that works for you, no matter what you're going through, no matter what you're facing, you don't have to reenact by reacting. Reaction to sets us up to become a reflection of. Reaction to sets us up to become a reflection of. And you don't want to be a reflection of the people who've hurt you. You don't want to be a reflection of the circumstances that have hurt you or undermine <clears throat> your life. React to circumstances, and we're set up to reflect those circumstances. To react is to relinquish control of power, legacy over our own futures. Now, um, your ability to choose a response, because that's what this whole point, the point of all this, your ability to choose a response rather than have it dictated to you by circumstances or others empowers you to control the direction of your life, but it doesn't feel like that in the moment. In fact, your decisions are the steering wheel of your life, period. Nobody else. Your decisions are the steering wheel of your life. And when you choose to use your superpower and respond and choose a response, you are directing your life. And it's slow, it's hour by hour, it's day by day, but I promise you, and all you have to do is look at people who've overcome extraordinary circumstances. In fact, maybe all you have to do is look back at a season of your life when you had the wherewithal, you didn't think about it as a superpower, but you realize, you know what, that's what I did. I didn't do what they did to me, I did something different, and yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not like them. I, I, I'm, I didn't turn out like them, I don't, I don't reflect them. So when you realize this is how I steer my life in the direction that I want to go, this is how I make my dreams come true, then this becomes and should become the habit of your life. Um, whenever you hear the story of someone who overcame enormous odds to accomplish something great, you are listening to the story of someone who learned to leverage this superpower. We have an extraordinary example of this in the United States of America. He has a statue on the mall in Washington D.C. You're never going to have a statue of yourself on the mall in Washington, D.C., okay? You're just not, neither am I. But Martin Luther King Jr., he implemented this personally and nationally, and he said, we are not going to do to the uh, others what they have done to us. 
And he said, we're just not. And everybody said, most everybody said, well, what you're trying to do isn't going to work. I had the most amazing opportunity. I, I, I wasn't, this is in my notes. I just thought of this. I'm about a month and a half ago, Andrew Young, who was a dear, dear, dear close friend with Martin Luther King Jr. and that, that whole group of people. Um, he's kind of the last one left. He um, reached out through a friend of mine and said he wanted to have lunch with me. And I'm like, Andy Young? Wants to have lunch. How does he even? I don't even know. How does he know I even exist? And I had the opportunity to sit down one on one with Andrew Young. I mean, he's been a mayor, he's been an ambassador for the United States. I mean, he's a legend. I mean, he was there with Dr. King from day one. I mean, Selma, all of it. We sat there and I just asked him question after question. And he, and he, he refers to Dr. to Dr. Martin Luther King as Martin. Martin would say, the first time he said it, I'm like, Martin. I'm like, you're on a first name basis. <laughs> yeah, it's like, but they were, they were friends. I mean, they hung out, they had meals, they suffered together. You know, they, I mean, uh, it was just, uh, it, was, it, was, it was amazing. And he said, and I've, I'd heard this too, and I, um, on MLK Day, I, went, I was able to go sit and be a part of the ceremony years and years ago. Um, he said, he said, you know, most of us, he said, Dr. King was nonviolent. He said, the rest of us, we were not nonviolent. We were not nonviolent. In other words, we wanted to do to others. We wanted to march at night. We wanted to, we, and Dr. King was like, if we, basically, these are my words, not his. If we react, if we react, we reenact the very thing we hate. See, it, it eventually works. It works on a national scale. It works on a community scale, and it will work in your life. Um, a measured response, and that's what we're talking about, a measured response. I'm not gonna react, I'm gonna take some time, I'm gonna get away, I'm gonna take a deep breath, I'm gonna ask myself some questions. A measured response can thwart evil, redeem pain and suffering, <clears throat> and reverse the course of your life. Never underestimate <clears throat> the power of a measured response. Never underestimate the power of a measured response. But there is a catch. <clears throat> and here's the catch. Y'all finish writing that down. I love it when people take notes. Or it might be your grocery list, but at least I think you're taking notes. This is good. Okay, um, <clears throat> here's, here's, here's the catch. The response, we can put this up. The response that has the potential to reverse the natural course of things isn't natural. The response, not the reaction, the response that has the power to reverse the natural order of things, to take something bad and make it good, it's not natural. So let me tell you what's natural. You already know, we already know because we've all experienced it, but I just summarize it in three things. Fear is natural, payback is natural, pride is natural. Fear, hey, if I don't do something, I don't know if this is ever gonna work out, I don't have what it takes, you know, I'm just gonna miss an opportunity. Um, what if I fail? you know, so we don't try. Um, I did fail, so why should I try again? So fear will rob you of opportunities, rob you of opportunities, rob you of opportunities. Um, what if she says no, so you don't ask? Or what if she says yes, and so we don't ask? Anyway, so fear, whatever it is at a micro level, macro level, fear, if I don't respond, if I don't lash out, if I don't do something, they're just gonna continue to take advantage of me. If I don't act like them, um, I don't know if things are gonna work out. Fear will drive you to react and steal your future. Isn't it interesting? Those of you who grew up in church and you've heard this before, Jesus' most repeated command, two words, anybody know? Starts with fear, ends with not. 
Fear not. Yeah, that's it. Good guess. Yeah, it's fear not. It's fear not. Fear not. Because it's, it's fear not. Why? Because when we react, because fear is what causes us to react. And when we react, we reenact. So he says, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. Fear not. So the enemy of this is fear. The second one is payback. Again, we've talked about this. They were rude to me, so I need to be rude to them. They lied to me. They disrespected me. I'll do unto them as they did unto me. That is natural. The kinds of response, the catalytic responses, the determinative responses we're talking about, they are not natural. They are, in some ways, supernatural. And here's how you know this because you've probably seen this. You have seen somebody face terrible circumstances, whatever, and you're like, how can you have so much peace? Why didn't you, you know, do unto them? Why didn't you sue them? Why, why, why? And it's like it's, what their response was so unusual, it gets your attention. The problem is the reaction, the, 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 the reaction that sets you free and set, changes the course of your life and moves you forward is not natural. So if, you don't, if we don't discipline ourselves, if we don't set this front and center, if we don't write this down somewhere, our natural tendency is to react in like kind. And when we do, we reenact as we talked about. Um, the natural response, the last one is pride. I'm not gonna take that job, that's beneath me. So here comes an opportunity. It's not a good enough opportunity. I'm not gonna take that job, it's beneath me. It's pride. I'm not gonna apologize. Are you kidding? Wait, wait, wait. You want me to apologize? I'm not gonna apologize. They apologize to me. Yeah, well, see, that's a good reaction, but what if you decided if it's a pie and I have a little bit of, of the slice of the blame pie, you know, well, you gotta find your slice of the blame pie, and it's 98% then, but I got a little 2% was mine. Well, why don't you apologize? I'm not gonna, it's pride. I'm not gonna ask for help. Only weak people ask for help. I'm not gonna go to counseling. Only weak people go to counseling. Reaction, 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 reaction. It's not natural. But a measured, never, never, never underestimate the power of a measured response. Now, as I said earlier, as Christians, we have every reason to get this right. And here's why I say that. We have multiple examples and we have one big promise. Multiple examples throughout the scriptures and one big promise. The history of our faith is populated by men and women who responded to opportunities, responded to tragedy, and responded to the people in their life with unexpected, unnatural, catalytic decisions. And of course, at the epicenter of our faith, think about this, if we didn't need any other example, we have the big one, um, Jesus, I just made a list, handed himself over to his enemies. You do, you're, wait, 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 you're gonna do what? Yeah, I'm gonna, well, you know what they're gonna do, I know. So wait, you're gonna hand yourself over? Yeah, who does that? Refused to defend himself. Like what? Chose not to save himself so he could save you instead. Who taught, I mean, he think, get, pull out the Sermon on the Mount after you hear the talk like this and listen to the Sermon on the Mount. Love your friends. Now everybody does that. Love the people who love you, know everybody. He says even pagans and tax collectors do that. Love your enemies. Who does that? People who have decided to respond and take the power back for how they live their lives and refuse to reenact. Because an enemy is somebody who has hurt you. And when you choose not to re re return like kind, when you choose not to react to your enemy, 
You have ensured that your enemy does not control your future. Who taught us, go the second mile. They had legally, if a Roman soldier, you've probably heard this story, if a Roman soldier asked a, a citizen in Judea to pick up something and go with him a mile, they, legally they had to go a mile. And Jesus says, when they ask you to go a mile, I want you to go two miles. Who does that? People who've decided, you know what? This soldier has interrupted my day. I have the whole day planned. I'm trying to get to the temple and do something holy for God. And now they've interrupted and I'm so angry. And Jesus says, let me tell you how to make sure they're not in your head. You decide in that moment, I'm gonna go too. And see, now they don't control you because you responded, didn't react. Forgive regardless. I mean, this is just absurd. Jesus, like 2,000 years ago, told his guys, no matter what people do, forgive. And it's like, you wanna go, wait, 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 can I tell you my sad story first? Because I think if you hear my sad story, you're gonna say, well, you don't have to forgive. Jesus is like, I don't have to hear your sad story. Forgive regardless, why? Because to refuse to forgive is to give them power over you. To refuse to forgive is what everybody does. To refuse to forgive is a reaction. But you have a superpower and you can choose. You don't owe me, I forgive you. Now, you hear that and you go, yeah, well, that's Jesus. So of course he did that. Here's my favorite one. Now here's, I'm gonna give you a little bit of a reading assignment. The best story or the best illustration, I think, in the whole Bible is in the Old Testament is the story of Joseph. Um, not Mary and Joseph, Joseph. Old Testament, Joseph. Joseph, who, you know the story if you grew up in church. Who's, he was the youngest. He was second to the youngest of a whole bunch of brothers. And his brothers were jealous because he, <laughs> he was the son of his father's favorite wife. Okay, we don't have that problem now, but back then he had multiple wives. And he was the son of his father's favorite wife. You know, word to the wise, don't have a favorite wife, just have a wife, okay? Anyway, but he was the son of his father's favorite wife. So the other brothers who were born from other, you know, other mother, other wives, um, they hated him. And so you know the story, so I'm just gonna tell it to you. I'm not gonna read it to you, but here's the list of what happened. He's kidnapped. He's left to die. He's sold. He's betrayed. And he's forgotten. And at the end of the story, he reflects nothing of those circumstances. He's betrayed, he's beaten up, he's left, he's sold, he's forgotten over and over in the prison in Potiphar, you know, in Potiphar, he's, his wife, Potiphar's wife tries to seduce him, he says no, so she accuses him of trying to rape her, rape her. And at the end of the story, when we meet Joseph at the end, he as a person reflects none of those circumstances. This is what I mean when I say, a measured response empowers you to thwart the power of evil in your life. You do not have to reflect what's happened to you. But it's the power God has given you to step back and realize, I'm going to do the unnatural thing. I'm going to do the supernatural thing. I'm going to do the thing that my Savior did for me and has called me to do, not just for him, but for myself, because I'm not going to allow my enemies to be my Lord. And I'm not going to allow that sickness that caused me to miss a whole year of school. And now I'm behind. I'm not going to allow regret to be my Lord. I'm not going to allow circumstances. I have a Lord. And so I'm going to respond. I'm not going to react or reenact what's happened to me. So here's what I'd love for you to do. Um, tonight or tomorrow, over the next few days, because it's a long story, is to read the story of Joseph. And I'll tell you a little bit more why in just a minute. It starts in Genesis 37. Genesis what? 
What is it? That's right. Three plus four is seven, and I just four is irrelevant. Three plus four is seven, 37. Okay. Then when you get to Genesis 38, you punt and you go to Genesis 39, because Genesis 38 is a different story. Okay. It's interesting. It's very interesting. It has nothing to do with Joseph. So 37 to 39, and then all the way, read the rest of the story. And as you read his story, you're going to bump in to, remember I said that, you know, I'm, I'm going to talk about our, our superpower. Um, and I'm going to tell you, you know, we have multiple illustrations and we have one big promise. When you read the story of Joseph, I want you to watch the bad things that happen. And I want you to make note of his response. And I want you to think about how he could have reacted. But throughout the story, you bump into the big promise that you have as well as I do. Let me read it, just one part of the story to you. I threw this in my notes. It said, now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. So he's been put in a pit, they were gonna let him die, then they were gonna kill him, then they were like, oh, let's, they were overcome with mercy, let's not kill him, let's just sell him, okay? Then we can profit and we'll tell, his mom, we'll tell mom and dad he's dead. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt to be sold. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites. And here's the next line. The Lord was with Joseph. To which here's what I say. No, he wasn't. See, if the Lord is with Joseph, then he would have never been thrown in the pit to begin with. Because if the Lord is with you, you don't get thrown in a pit. And your brothers don't sell you. And you're not put on an auction block naked with a whole bunch of other naked boys and then get bought by somebody for God knows what. That's not, that's not what happens to you when the Lord is with you. Throughout the story, bad thing after bad thing after bad thing, the Lord was with Joseph, and the Lord is with you. And when you can remember that, it's when you're able to, I know what I want to do. I know what everybody else would do. I know what people are telling me to do. But I'm not going to reenact. I'm going to respond and watch and see if God will honor that in my life eventually. We have a promise, and if we take it seriously, this promise should inform our responses. A promise that has the potential to empower you to resist temptation, to react, and to respond instead. And here's the promise, God is with you. I want you to, I'm gonna say something, I want you to repeat it after me, ready? But let me say it first. God is with me. I want you to say that. God is One more time, God is with me. So here's the question that should inform and guide our responses, our opportunities, tragedies, personalities. Here it is. This is I hope you'll write this down and put this somewhere where you can see it. How would I respond if I was confident God is with me? How would I respond if I was absolutely confident God is with me? me. I know what I want to do. I know what everybody's telling me to do. I know what my natural inclination is. I know what I would enjoy doing. I know what I would love to tell everybody else I did. What would I do? Or let me read it to you a little bit differently. What would somebody who is you do if they were confident that God was with them? Just stand outside of yourself for a minute and look at you and look at the circumstances and look at everything that's happened and ask yourself the question, what, what would a person like that do if they were confident that God was with them?
That question is what gave Sandra and I the courage to leave my dad's church 28 years ago and start North Point. Um, we were struggling to decide. We didn't know what to do. And we ran across this line in a book. I'll read it for you. I pulled it out. It's sat on every desk I've had for 28 years. Here's what it said. It says, beginning empty-handed and alone, because we quit. We had no insurance, had no job. And, you know, you look at all this and go, well, it worked out for you. But I'm telling you, when you're in the story and it hadn't worked out for you yet, here's what it says. Beginning empty-handed and alone frightens the best of men. It also speaks volumes of just how sure they are that God is with them. What would somebody who is you do if they were absolutely confident that God is with them and God is with you? So here's what I want to do as we close. Um, I'm going to read just several passages to assure you that God is with you. Some of these you've heard before. Some of you have. I'm just going to read them. I'm not going to comment on them. I'm just going to read through them. And then I'm going to pray and we'll be finished. But let me just ask this question before I do. What are you going through right now that you might begin responding differently to if you are absolutely confident God is with you? What would somebody who is you do who was confident that God was with them? I'm telling you, do that. Let me just read these to you. God has said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. God is with you. Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all of your cares and your anxieties and all this stuff on him because he cares for you. God is with you. Jesus said this, <laughs> in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. I am with you. Jesus said, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching and my father will love them. Get this. And we will come to them and we will make our home with them. When you respond, it is an invitation for Jesus to make his home Jesus said, peace, I leave with you. Not circumstantial peace, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give it to you as the world gives you. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Why? Because God is with you. And then here's one I bet you've all heard. And we know, Paul wrote, that in all things, all things, things. Every opportunity, every tragedy, every relationship. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Let me read it a different way. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose and respond as if they were confident that God is with them. What would somebody who is you do if they were confident God is with them? Do that, respond like that.
It is the most direct path to the life you want to live. Heavenly Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you for this incredible group of men and women who want to get it right. And we have faced all kinds of things. We all kind of disappointment. We all have different opportunities, tragedies, people in and out of our life. But Heavenly Father, we do want to get it right. That's why we're here. So would you give each of us the wisdom to know what to do with what we just heard? And for the person who is right on the verge of reacting, they've already got it planned. Just give them the courage to respond. Father, for the person who's already reacted, and now they realize if I was confident God was with me, I would apologize for my reaction, take responsibility. So Father, I pray that we would keep our hands on the steering wheel of our life and our eyes on you. And we would live a life that honors you, that honors us, that frees us from shame, that frees us from unnecessary regret. Thank you for the promise of your presence. Help us to live as if you are in fact present with us in Jesus' name. Thanks for tuning in to the NPYA podcast. To learn more about us, you can follow us on social media at North Point Young Adults or head to our website, northpoint.org slash youngadults. And if you enjoyed today's episode, make sure you hit that subscribe button so you never miss one. See y'all next time.